Well, good day and welcome to another episode here of the Disaster Podcast. I'm your host, Jamie Davis, the pod medic, and we've got a great episode for you tonight, one we look forward to every year, and we'll get into that in just a second. But before we get to anything else, we have to bring in the illustrious Sam Bradley, my co-host. Hey, Sam. Who's tired of snow? I had to go driving around in it all day yesterday, and that did not make me happy. So, Miss Becky DePodwin, um, what's the weather look like this week? <laughs> well, for you in Colorado, you should have a, a pretty nice weekend overall. Looks like another possible chance for some snow starting next week, though. So, you know, at least you get sun after the snow. For a few days. Yeah. Then it, well, then it melts off during the day and turns to ice the next morning. So uh, that's, yeah, there is that. That's going to be a big problem tonight for a big portion of the country. Actually, the uh, Ohio Valley area, we've had a lot of rain um, as this storm's moving through. And then well, rush of cold air behind it's going to cause everything to freeze up. So could be a not so great morning commute tomorrow for much of the Ohio Valley. Mm. Well, in that sense, I'm glad I'm here. How are things in Memphis, Dr. Joe? Well, we had a pretty uh, nasty rainstorm that's passed through now, and things are cooling down pretty dramatically from our 70 degrees yesterday. Wow, 70. I can't imagine. The only seven I see is when it has a one in front of it. <laughs> How about you, Jamie? Well, let's see. Um, two days ago, it was 10 degrees, um, and today it got up to 60, so... It's been a little a little bit of a roller coaster ride, which is kind of typical for Maryland this time of year as it can't decide if it's ready for spring yet or not. So Yeah, it's not. <laughs> and Mr. Kyle Nelson is up there in the high country, so I imagine it's been quite cold up there, eh? Well, we've uh, actually had a pretty nice warm stretch, at least uh, earlier this week when we were uh, sitting out on course, starting off the uh, the Rev Tour, which is sort of the locals version of X Games. And uh, it was nice to sit out on course in the sunshine. But yes, Sam, uh, same snowstorm that you got. We got up here in the high country. And then today the skies cleared out and I uh, did some snowmobiling up to our tower sites to do some maintenance. So it was uh, in a roller coaster ride here, but such is spring in the mountains. When is spring actually springing on the on the calendar? Well, it kind of depends on right how how you define it, right? It can be you know meteorological spring. It can be you know just you know, the calendar based spring, and it all it all depends how you define it, Sam. But you know, spring is is what it means to you is what I'm going to go with. That's that's when it starts. Is what when it, it feels right for you. What it means is no snow. I'll take it. Okay, well, it so happens that Mr. Kyle is also our guest for tonight, and as Jamie mentioned, we look forward every year to this discussion of, drumroll please, the X Games. So for those who are uninitiated, Kyle, explain what that is, where it is, and when it happens. Oh, right on, Sam. Yes, this is an episode that I always enjoy here as well. And so, indeed, for the uninitiated or those that have uh, not listened to the uh, X Games episodes of Days Gone By, uh, let me set the stage for you. So, imagine uh, Aspen, Colorado at Buttermilk Mountain. That's the one that's just east of the airport there in Aspen, uh, the one that I ski patrol at. Uh, imagine that you have a ski resort that builds a small city in the base area and on the lower part of the mountain 
to put on what is essentially a one-week TV show that this year is second only to the Winter Olympics in uh, terms of international reach. So we are truly on the international stage. And we have athletes this year uh, across slope style, big air, knuckle huck, uh, super pipe, and special Olympics uh, traveling anywhere you know, of upwards of 20 miles an hour on skis and snowboards, reaching heights of 30 to 60 feet above ground and landing on man-made features of compact hard snow or ice. So as you can imagine already, right, a high possibility for significant mechanisms of injury as well as great viewing. Well, I'm hoping you haven't had all the political issues that the uh, Olympics in China has had. (laughs) Um, Hopefully it's been a little more mellow in that respect. Oh, indeed, it has. And with the X Games every year, right, the athletes are so excited to be there. And right, it's an invitation-only event. And this is truly their opportunity to to showcase themselves and their talents and things uh, on the international stage. And well, uh, you know, X, X Games is, yes, this isn't, you know, an Olympic year. And so we didn't have all the big talent that we might usually have on an X Games year that's not prior to the Olympics. Uh, we we still there is much fanfare surrounding it, and uh, thankfully the, the politics you know that that goes to the side. And you know you hear you stand at the top of the venues, and you hear the riders cheering each other on and congratulating each other on on good runs and by by continuing to push and elevate the sports uh, that that they're that they're competing in. It's a really unique opportunity to really set all that aside and truly embrace the sport. Well, you know, you mentioned the Special Olympics, and I'm going to date myself here, but back when I was doing ski patrol in the 80s, the 1984 Olympics, which was in Park City, I believe, um, I was one of the ski patrollers that that had wards under me, and our job was to get them from one place to the other, make sure they got lunch, get them to their award ceremony, and it was just, it was really a trip. Not one that I will forget anytime soon. So if that's a piece of that, that that's got to be exciting. So your role <clears throat> has changed over time since you started this thing. What was it this year? Uh, Sam, yes, indeed. Uh, I've had uh, yeah several roles as uh, for X Games in years past. Um, this year it was more back to my my roots and and what originally got me with in with X Games. And that's to champion the ski patrol planning operations and logistics for winter X games on behalf of buttermilk ski patrol and Aspen skiing company. Now you also throw in timekeeping and scheduling. And one could argue that I'm also doing the finance and administration part of this as well. And now here I am talking to you all about it, sort of doing the public information officer role. So we're kind of checking off a lot of those command and general staff positions uh, for those of you out there that uh, picking up what I'm putting down. And uh, in previous years, Sam, as you hinted at, um, I've come at this from a couple different angles, both with our uh, county's incident management team serving as situation unit leader and planning section chief. Uh, Typically, when we have more spectators and a a greater impact to 
day-to-day uh, -day, um, operations within Pitkin County, uh, where we're based out of. And uh, thankfully this year, though, even though we had some uh, limited spectators there, uh, not enough of an impact to uh, justify activating our team, but I was on call just in case. Thankfully, nothing happened. And uh, of course, in, in years uh, prior as well, I served uh, both rest of world and as an incident dispatcher uh, under the headset as uh, on the 911 desk. So uh, definitely have seen X Games from lots of different facets here over the years. Well, you... <laughs> In the dictionary where it says your name, it also says crazy busiest guy on the planet. And we're just talking about one thing here that you do. Um, I want to talk about pre-planning, but let's see if anybody has some thoughts. Jamie? Yeah, Kyle, I'm, I'm curious, you know, in, in the various roles that you've fulfilled, what do you see as one of the biggest challenges to pulling together the emergency operations side of an event of this size and magnitude? I'd say the biggest challenge, Jamie, or one of the biggest challenges that I've seen is, I would say if, if I, how can I put this? I would say coordination, right? And not just that, but relationships. And, you know, relationships, they can strengthen, they can also decay uh, depending on events, depending on personalities and, and many other factors, but truly what drives the success and, and the success that I have been part of in sort of uh, in, in revolutionizing the ski patrol component of Winter X Games is to 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 build, to foster, to grow uh, relationships amongst all the various agencies and entities and uh, individuals that all have to ultimately come together to put on this world class event. And it's well, what you see on TV, right? That's the final polished product, but there's a lot that goes into it. And so the, the planning, the coordination, the relationships between those providers where, you know, when I started, you know, doing this, I think, gosh, yeah, eight seasons ago, this was, uh, it, it was a little bit uh, tumultuous, but as we've gone forward uh, and really built and honed those relationships, we've been able to address very quickly a lot of uh, challenges that, that arise. And even if there are things that we're presented with uh, in the moment that we haven't anticipated, we can very quickly work together as a team because we have that rapport with one another. Becky, you're, you know, your disaster management side is all about communication and fostering relationships. What are your thoughts on what he's saying? Yeah, I mean, I think it takes a lot of, of you know, pre-coordination, which I think we'll get into. But you have to have all of these, you know, relationships established ahead of time and plans in place for any scenario um, with, with communication redundancies. Um, I would imagine you communicate via, you know, walkie-talkies, cell phones if there's service. Um, yeah, I just, and it's so much coordination that goes in well ahead of time to make sure everything runs smoothly. And I'd love to hear more about that side of things. As we will. Um, and of course, in the meteorological world, um, that's kind of a big thing too. Dr. Joe, any thoughts for uh, Mr. Kyle? I'm actually uh, curious, just in general, at the number of crossover athletes who are uh, both Olympic and uh, X Games. 
Oh, gosh. Uh, I don't have a firm number on that for you, Joe, but many competitors that you that you have seen and even some that you did see this year and in previous years for uh, during the X Games go on to compete in the Winter Olympics. Um, it's a again, it's it's another stage for them to, to to hone their craft and to push the sport further, but also to really catch the eye of those that are that are looking for uh looking to fill those Olympic spots. And so again, while I don't have an exact number, it's, it's really, really fun to follow some of the career progressions of athletes, you know, that they start with X games, things like that. And, and they, they grow, they, they get better over time and, and they progress in the sport. And pretty soon you see them on the Olympic roster competing in the big show. So it's, it's fun to follow the progression of them from their very early careers to the big stage. Joe, you had another comment. Well, I just, thanks, Kyle. I, I assumed that there was indeed a lot of crossover. I, I hadn't really realized it was more, more linear, more progression than, uh, than having to choose between the two. Sounds like a training ground for the Olympics in a sense. Yeah, it's uh yeah, the two are not mutually exclusive by any means. Uh, so it, it is a, uh, a wonderful event, and and while it's you know it's not a say an Olympic qualifying event uh, per se, right? Because by the time that most of these folks are coming in for X Games, right, that we had in the third week, I think of January, uh, right, the Olympic rosters were more or less already filled, and so the athletes then could decide, hey, if I'm going to the Olympics, I can still come to the X Games, or some uh, chose to sort of take that step back and say, hey, I'm going to stay healthy so I can. Uh, be ready to go for the big show. But if they win, that's going to do a lot for their self-confidence. If they don't, maybe that's when they need to look at, hey, I need some more training. So it certainly seems to me it would serve its purpose. So Miss Becky wants to know about the pre-planning process. Yes, indeed. Uh, so the pre-planning process for Winter X Games, uh, it truly does start uh, right as soon as we wrap up the current year's events. And so, right, the any good pre-planning process starts with a a solid uh, after-action report, a gathering of feedback from all the all the providers that were involved. In this case, uh, speaking from the athlete medical side of the house specifically, and having uh, open, honest conversations about uh, things that we want to continue for next year, things that we need to improve upon, or uh, things that we might want to do away with, right? And the our, our medical director for X Games, uh, Dr. Joel Buzzy, based out of Maryland, uh, he is he's an emergency room doc out there, and he's been leading the charge for Winter X Games and really coordinating the, the uh, overall medical component of it. And once we collect those, right, we, we go through, we talk through them as a medical team, and we assign action items so that we can follow up on those topics that need attention so that when we come to our medical summit that we have, typically in person, but more recently virtually uh, in the fall, that's when we start to go over and look at, hey, what did we learn? Uh, did the X Games teams learn anything from the summer X Games operations that they want to bring in or try or to modify our plans? And additionally, looking back and seeing how we've come and progressed uh, from our action items from the previous year's event uh, to, to that fall, and then really going over any significant changes 
or uh, challenges that will be presented to the team. And and on that call, right, is everything from uh, our the ESPN director of sports and competition, right, Richard Biggie, all the way uh, down through, you know, ESPN uh, safety, ESPN venue operations, their logistics staff, and, and anyone that has a vested interest in a positive outcome and a safe e, uh, safe event overall is there. So it's a it's a pretty big group, and so we're able to really get a lot done and and get a lot of things ironed out uh, early on. And then from there, it's really just the small details and and iterating uh, in our process that we have um, amongst providers, amongst different teams uh, within the X Games staff, and uh, ultimately uh, we get together. You know, the uh, week before the event, make sure that there's uh, nothing else that has uh, come up and surprised us and all the way to the day before and then the morning of uh, going over, making sure that uh, medical protocols, plans, procedures are ready to go, that our evacuation routes are clear. And then when the uh, starter says, you know, you're clear to drop to the athlete, that everything is in place, that it can be to provide that athlete with the best possible care should something bad happen. Jamie. Yeah, to kind of follow up of what you just talked about, um, as far as medical resources, um, obviously you have the medical resources available on site with the ski patrol and and um, medical staff on site, trainers and things like that. But what about integration with local medical resources, local facilities, hospitals, um, local transport agencies? How how does that process work? Good question. Sure. Yeah, fantastic point, Jamie. Uh, so, so all all the different entities that you just named are absolutely part of our medical team, uh, both for spectators and athletes alike. So, uh, it starts again with right our our licensed physician, uh, Dr. Buzzy, who uh, is our X Games medical coordinator uh, on contract. And then uh, that also, right, part of that medical team then is our local ski patrols here in the Aspen area across all four mountains, as well as uh, athletic trainers that X Games and ESPN bring in, along with our incredible staff at Aspen Valley Hospital and the emergency room physicians there. Uh, they have a, a, a very close working relationship with the, uh, with the docs uh, that are on site for X Games as well as with all of our local uh, ambulance resources, be they standalone ambulance uh, agencies or co combination fire and EMS agencies. So all those folks uh, really, right, we, we work well together day to day locally. The only thing that we change is where we're practicing our medicine, which is just within the X Games venue, but we still stick within our local protocols, procedures, and the fantastic relationships that we've built locally. Because, right, I'm still handing off to the same ambulance crews I would uh, if it was a uh, you know someone on the ski hill. But we're just working with within the bigger scope and and the bigger picture of X Games. And you're on an ESPN, so that's different. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, international television. You know, yeah, there's that. So, Joe, that's that's your wheelhouse. What are you thinking about the medical component? Well, I, I was fascinated by listening to that, and actually, I, I I wanted to know sort of how do you guys manage sudden changes in the weather, or say there's an avalanche that uh, suddenly blocks off access, or uh, a helicopter base is. Uh, got you know too much cloud cover to be able to fly that day. How how are those kind of things handled? Sure. Uh, so 
to that point, Joe, right, we we always kind of build some of that uncertainty, that flexibility into our planning process. And these are challenges uh, that are not unique to X Games, such as, right, uh, cutting off or, or um, you know, impeding our normal egress routes or, you know, whether it's shutting them off or throwing, you know, a foot of snow on them in a, just a couple of hours or high winds and, and blowing snow that prohibit those air assets from coming in and evacuating patients to uh, more specialized uh, centers of care, depending on the injury that they present with. And so uh, truly that that does come back to our uh, really incredible staff at Aspen Valley Hospital, right? A, a level three trauma center in the, in the middle of the mountains out here in Colorado. So there's a lot that we can do to keep our, our patients and the patients that we send there uh, stable, even if it has to be for extended periods of time. And then uh, also really it's uh, working with our uh, with our our local knowledge and an experience that our paramedics have for doing interfacility transports. Um, all of our ambulances that we have, right? studded snow tires, four wheel drive, uh, they're they're some pretty, pretty beefy rigs, uh, if you will. Uh, I know it's a technical term, but that's that's ultimately, right? We work in that environment every day. And uh, we we anticipate that uncertainty, and it's again that coordinated team approach to provide the best care for that patient. Well, I heard the word weather, so maybe Becky has a thought. <laughs> That's why that wasn't actually at all the direction I was going to go. Um, <laughs> well, then go whatever direction you want to go. I I mean I I guess I sort of feel like the weather aspect is a bit easier to plan for because you have a general sense of what can occur. Um, I guess the question I was going to ask is what sort of um, human caused threats do you worry about and do you plan for at events like this? Obviously, a greater population in non-COVID years. Um, but just what's the planning process for that like? Definitely. And again, that's a planning process that starts well in advance. And uh, for for any given year for X Games, if there's an acronym for some type of local, state, or federal law enforcement-related agency that you can think of, they're there. I can promise you that they're there. Um, many, uh, many, uh, many technologies, many personnel, uh, many uh, toys, if you will, and I, I use that term very loosely here, are brought to bear. And there's a very coordinated planning process uh, both from uh, technological threats that could possibly present themselves to this uh, open air venue that we have, as well as uh, any type of, you know, I mean, inclusive of, you know, chemical, biological, radiological, even explosive threats. So we we take a layered approach, uh, largely right focused on deterrence, and then also, uh, you know, as as you go in, right, it's it's there's a layered approach to ensuring uh, that the uh, the perimeter of the venue and then within the venue that there's eyes, there's ears uh, in, in many different places. There's there's detection equipment in many different places. And so it's a very comprehensive uh, way to to truly also prove some technologies in a, a very extreme alpine environment that, uh, you know, lots of times, right, you think of, you know, technological hazards, you think of big cityscapes and urban areas. Well, we are, are are just as you know uniquely vulnerable in our own way uh, out here for this particular event, right? It's you know not to mention the the specter of 
you know, worldwide international television and something possibly happening. So thankfully, uh, that is very high in the priority list for uh, my law enforcement friends here in the Valley. And that is well planned for every single year. So, Kyle, what about COVID? Was that an issue or did you pretty much have that dialed in last year? Did it stick out at all or were people kind of in the routine of masks and so forth? Uh, well, we were on the same COVID protocols as we were last year. And uh, so uh, within the venue, uh, we were, uh, our providers were wearing masks. Uh, even uh, in the, even though it's an open air venue, we were still uh, wearing N95s as well as uh, both when we're uh, just kind of standing around as well as when we're treating athletes per our local protocol for treatment of patients. The biggest impetus um, for, for us to do that, not only for, for our protection, for the protection of the athletes, but again, right, as we, as we talked about, a lot of these athletes, right, are going from this event to the Olympics. The key to, for them, right, is they need to test negative. They needed to test negative to get into the Olympics. So should they have an exposure at X Games, that could completely sideline their plans to go to Beijing. And so that was heavily on our minds as we were interacting with staff and with other medical personnel and especially with the athletes because we wanted to give them, again, the best chance to uh, you know, come out of the venue safely, both physically uh, as well as uh, from the COVID perspective, so that they have the greatest chance of uh, competing successfully here in the Olympics. Yes, and uh, it's a good bet that all of them, or at least most of them, are vaccinated for that reason. Um, were there any interesting, exciting, unexpected issues that occurred this year? Well, with the uh, return of spectators in the base area, um, evacuation of athletes uh, through our normal routes that, that we had put into place last year, uh, that was those. Some of those were were compromised or sometimes hindered by the the crowd sizes in the base area. And while it was you know not something you know that we were totally thrilled with, of course, uh, we were very grateful for those relationships that we had built with our medical staff, with the ESPN leadership, so that uh, I was able to get out there with our you know medical director, um, the you know base area manager, our uh, the. Um, director of uh, venue operations, and we were able to have a, a very, very open conversation and come up with some alternative ideas. And it's and it really, again, harkens back to the, the incredible camaraderie that we have because ultimately, right, we want the best possible treatment for those athletes uh, at, at every level from initial you know, uh, treatment and triage to evacuation and to uh, transport to definitive care. And there's a lot of moving parts in that process from when the athlete uh, should become injured on the course to when they get to whatever destination is most appropriate. And so uh, that, that definitely uh, it threw a wrench in things, but we were able to overcome that. And uh, of course, right, with, with anyone who's worked an event before, you know that sometimes the schedule can shift a little bit one way or the other, but uh, thankfully our team is uh, really flexible and we've adapted to that over the years. So events like this depend on after action reports to see what went well, what didn't. I mean, just your comment about making sure you had a clear path to get your people out of there if you needed to. What were some of the lessons from the past that you've incorporated this year or last year? 
So, right, the, the history is a fantastic teacher. And uh, from from previous events, uh, things that we've we've iterated on, things that we've incorporated are one, truly really refining our communication strategies. Uh, when you have, uh, for example, right on a on a particular scene on a, on a very seriously injured athlete, uh, you may have both ski patrol and medicine in motion, uh, the athletic trainers there. And at that point, uh, right, the highest trained provider in our medical plan, highest trained provider, which for us would be a paramedic, would be the provider in charge. So we're focused on patient care, and the athletic trainer would step back. They'd become sort of that communications role. They're uh, communicating um, our our intentions and, and the updates on the patient's treatment there on scene to uh, on, on our athlete medical talk group so that production and everyone else, uh, the leadership of ESPN can know, is this going to be something that might take a little while or is this something that's going to be a load and go type of situation, right? We have to provide those updates and having a communications officer uh, role established very clearly on scene really helps us as ski patrol to focus on uh, the patient care of that injured athlete. Uh, additionally, um, other things that uh, we've incorporated over the years are uh, are right big are, are really including uh, all the medical providers in the in the venue walkthroughs when we're setting uh, gates for egress, when we're looking at uh, the features themselves, looking at uh, concerns from both the response, the treatment, and the athlete evacuation standpoint, uh, we even bring in our uh, our EMS crews, right? They're not going to be up on the hill responding with us, but this gives them the chance to look at, oh, this these are the types of features the athletes are going off of. These are the potential mechanisms of injury that are going to be perhaps brought down to me and my crews at the ambulance. If you could pick one thing that was a lesson learned for this year, what would that be? I think the biggest uh, lesson learned for this year, Sam, is is truly that it it takes a team to put on an event of of this scope and this scale, and and that's and that's true this year more than ever, right? I'm a part time guy on ski patrol, and you know, yes, you know, I I, I lead a lot of uh, of the components of this, but um, over the years. Being able to to train and to delegate some of these duties to additional staff that we have on our patrol that have risen to the occasion, that have stepped up to say, I want to be part of this, I want to be uh, a leader alongside you, and I want to support the team, it's it's being able to develop a, a, a depth, a bench of folks that you can call on, that you can rely on, that the team can rely on to accomplish the tasks that are necessary in order to have a successful event. So this year, more than ever, truly, it's that team approach and being able to uh, to, to cross train, to share and to be open in your communications uh, with each other and ultimately Right, uh, that Semper Gumby being flexible and adapting to change effectively. So that's a good jump on next year, taking what really works and continuing to make that work. Um, anything else different, unexpected, crazy about next year? And when do you start pre-planning next year? Or have you started already? <laughs> well, uh, for us, we're, we're uh, finishing up the after action report, getting all those comments in. And we'll uh, debrief that here directly, but um, we're already looking forward to next year's event. We're really hoping to have more spectators back, 
as well as uh, the the mechanized events, right? The the snowmobiles and snow bikes, uh, because a lot of us are are motorheads up here. We love that kind of thing. And then of course the concerts as well for that wonderful ambiance uh, as we go into the evening hours. So it's uh, we're really hoping to to get things uh, get things back to uh, closer to at least that they were uh, pre-COVID. Because I'll tell you when it's when it's just the the sound of the athletes uh, equipment uh, sliding on the snow. It's uh, it's a little bit interesting, but having some crowds back this year made it feel just a little bit more normal. Oh, no doubt. Becky, final thoughts? I just have one question. Is there is there such thing as too much snow for the X Games that makes it very <laughs> difficult for them to continue? Yes, hmm. 100% yes. I, I'm trying to remember if it was three or four years ago. But we had on one of our competition nights over the weekend, uh, it was and it was just absolutely puking snow. It's great for TV. It's great for business for Aspen Ski Company. However, for the athletes, it was absolutely uh, it was absolutely uh, very discouraging, right? Because it's now, you know, say in the super pipe, they it's, you know, two runs and, you know, that's your that's your final. But now you have all this snow coming down, it's slowing down the speed of the athletes, right? And now that affects the height that they can get out of the super pipe. It affects their ability to, to, to land tricks effectively. It affects their ability to see those blue painted lines along the edge really to get their, to get their sights and, and uh, you know, really those sight lines. And so it, it can screw them up there. And additionally, that was also one of our biggest uh, nights, our busiest nights, on the big air feature, because it started out where it, it was, this was the heavy wet snow, at least two inches oh. an hour, because I'd turn around and my skis would just be gone every time I went and kicked the snow off of them. And of course, we were on a delay and they sent slippers down. So side slipping uh, the, the, from the launch all the way down to the lip of the takeoff on the big air jump. And uh, it was, you know, one athlete or uh, no, one course worker that went down to slip it, went up. And uh, got to the top, lost his balance, jumped 10 feet flat and was injured. So we had to evacuate him right after that athlete goes with a GoPro guy uh, following behind him, a a follow cam and uh, kind of missed the takeoff and had to treat the, uh, the GoPro guy. And then I forget what the third one was, but this was all in the span of about half an hour and all because we had heavy, wet snow that again, looks great on camera but really, really is challenging for uh, for these events and these venues that truly do rely on speed and consistency for the athletes to do that safely. Of course, the deep, fluffy snow, you might lose the athletes altogether. So um, that's another thing. Joe, final thoughts? Well, I think for me, it's just uh, appreciating the, the the intense complexity of one of these events, how important uh, communication and planning and the team approach is to making one of the one of these things go off successfully. Kudos to you, Kyle, and all your uh, all your crew there. Agreed, Jamie. Yeah, and, and I gotta say, Joe, you know, it's one of those things that that Kyle kind of continued to mention was the, the bringing back of talent to the, 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 the building and encouraging people to come along and take on new tasks and new duties and responsibilities so that you had that depth in the, in the toolbox as it were 
And that's one of the things that you guys do, you know, when you train people at Paragon, you you bring experienced people in and you teach and train folks to have that kind of resilience and depth in the bench when time comes when they need it uh, in the field. Um, And that's something that Paragon does such a fantastic job of. Well, thanks, Jamie. And, uh, you know, I I think it's all about getting people the experience that they need so that uh, when they are immersed in one of these events, which are fairly rare for most people in their career, they're uh, they're up to speed and have already learned the lessons that many of us learn on our first uh, exposure to this kind of stuff. But, you know, it's all about making sure that we uh, plan and organize an event that is uh, right for uh, the, the, the learners that are coming there to get it. And we love talking to people about how to do that. Uh, we'd ask them just to give us a call or reach out to us on the web at Paragon Medical Group or on Facebook at Paragon Medical Group there as well. Thank you, Joe, and thanks for your continued support of the Disaster Podcast here and bringing it out to folks every week. Uh, we, we couldn't do it without you. Um, so, uh, Kyle, where can folks find out more about what you're up to and follow what you're doing currently? Absolutely, Jamie. Folks can find me on all the social media places under the handle WXKyleNelson. So follow along with me there for the latest or connect with me on LinkedIn to continue the conversation. And Becky, how about you? Uh, over on Twitter at WX underscore Bex and the Disaster Podcast Facebook group. And Sam? In the usual social media places under Sam Bradley or Sam Bradley 11. How about you, Podmedic? Well, you said it. Podmedic is where you can find me in most social media channels. So look me up and friend or follow me there. Um, of course, find us on disasterpodcast.com and you'll find links there on every episode That'll allow you to subscribe to the show. So don't forget you can do that as well on whatever mobile device you have or even by email if you want. And that way you won't miss any of our upcoming episodes because we've got some good ones on on tap for the future. And we always are on tap for whenever events happen unexpectedly, we try to get on top of those as well. So, um, Sam, good episode. As always, as I said at the beginning of the show, we all look forward to the recap of the X Games and lessons learned. Um, Those types of major events are rare for a lot of people, but there are smaller local festivals and things of all shapes and sizes that happen in just about every community around the world. Yeah, it's those puking snow events. You, you know, you really got to be careful about those. You know, and another one of my favorite terms is Semper Gumby, because that says a lot. We use it in EMS a lot, and it means being flexible, having to think on your feet, and having to communicate and create relationships with the people you work with, which may be people from a number of different agencies. So I'm going to leave it there. 